0: Lesson 2 for July 6 through to 12 Blueprint for a Better World Read by Dr Percy Harold Sabbath Afternoon July 6 Before we start, let's pray Our Heavenly Father, so often we look at life and think how tough it is for us as individuals and for families and for churches, and sometimes we forget that there are others who are in greater need than us. We thank you that your mercy is extended to everybody. And we pray that this week, as we study your lesson, that we may not only see your will for us, but how we can be of help to those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. Let's read that again, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In His mercy, God has always had people with whom He has maintained a special relationship. In the stories of Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, among others, we see God yearning to rebuild the broken relationship with human beings. But this was not just for the benefit of these few individuals and their families. When they were connected with God and blessed by Him, it was part of a larger plan to repair that relationship and share the blessing with others. As God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2-3, to I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and all peoples of earth will be blessed through you. As he was blessed, he could be a blessing to others. This blessing was to come through the nation of Israel, and ultimately the Messiah, who would come from that nation. With the creation of the people of Israel, God was now working with an entire nation. So, he set about giving them laws, regulations, festivals and practices that would be a way to live so that those who were blessed by God would be able to bless others as well. No doubt this principle still exists today. Sunday, July 7, The God Who Hears Exodus 3, verse 7 reads, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Four hundred years is a long time to wait, especially when waiting in conditions of increased harsh slavery— God had promised that he would return to his people and bring them out of Egypt. But for generation after generation, they were left to build the wealth and prestige of their idolatrous oppressors, and all the while, God seemed silent. Then God manifested himself in a unique way. He appeared in a burning bush out in the remote desert to an unlikely leader, a fugitive prince and humble shepherd named Moses. He gave the reluctant Moses a job to do, and the first part of that job was to go back to the Israelites in Egypt with the message that God had heard and seen their oppression, and yes, He did care. In fact, He was about to do something to change their situation dramatically. Question. Read Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Why was it important for God to begin outlining His plan for these people with this specific message. What catches your attention about this statement from God? Exodus 3, beginning at verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. But God does not stop there. Not only does he have a plan for a better land, he does not intend for the people to escape from Egypt destitute. For hundreds of years, they had contributed to the wealth of the Egyptian empire. God foresaw the initial resistance from Pharaoh, but he assured Moses that the Israelites would be compensated for their years of hard labour. Exodus 3.21 And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. After the years of oppression, God took the opportunity to establish a new kind of society with these former slaves. He wanted them to live in a different way and to establish a society that would continue to be sustainable and viable. His plan was that this new kind of society would be a model for the surrounding nations and, like Abraham, that the blessings they received from God also would bless the whole world. So to finish the day, how important is it to you that God is a God who sees the suffering of people in the world and hears their cries for help? What does this tell you about God? Consider Exodus chapter 4 and verse 31. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. Monday, July 8, the ten commandments. question read matthew chapter 22 verses 37 to 40 and then exodus 20 verses 1 through to 17. How does Jesus' summary of the commandments help your understanding as you read each of the Ten Commandments? First of all, Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 37. Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and The Prophets and Exodus 20, beginning at verse 1. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God putting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey nor anything that is your neighbours. The Ten Commandments read like a constitution. After a brief preamble that sets out the basis on which these statements are made, in this case the fact of God's deliverance of his people, the document lists the core principles on which the nation is founded. In this case, they were specific commands about how human beings could best live out their love for God and love for each other it is little wonder that many nations with a Christian heritage have drawn the basis of their laws from these guiding principles. While many of these statements are brief, we should not underestimate the breadth of their impact and the comprehensiveness of the Ten Commandments as the law of life. For example, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder in Exodus 20 verse 13, summarises and includes as ellen white says in patriarchs and prophets page 308 all acts of injustice that tend to shorten life as well as a selfish neglect of caring for the needy or suffering similarly the prohibition against stealing exodus 20 verse 15 says you shall not steal this condemns as we read on page 309 slave dealing and forbids wars of conquest. It requires the payment of just debts or wages, as well as prohibiting every attempt to advantage oneself by the ignorance, weakness or misfortune of another. End of quote. We can easily tell ourselves that we are not bad people. For example, if we are not directly involved in murder or obvious stealing, it might seem we are doing okay. But when Jesus talked about the commandments, he made it clear that the commandments are not fulfilled simply by not doing a few specific acts. Rather, our thoughts, motivations, and even failure to do things we know we should, can break the law of God. Matthew 5, verses 21 to 30, reads... You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, You will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So, imagine a society in which each of the Ten Commandments was taken seriously and lived out fully. It would be an active, vibrant society in which everyone enthusiastically acted on their love for God by loving and caring for one another. So to finish today, why do we tend to read the Ten Commandments narrowly, often ignoring the broader applications of these important principles to our lives? Why is the narrower reading easier to follow in practice? Tuesday, July 9, Slaves, Widows, Fatherless, Foreigners Question, read Exodus chapter 23 and verse 9. What is God's message to Israel here? Exodus 23 verse 9, Also you shall not oppress a stranger, for you know the heart of a stranger, because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. As newly freed slaves, the Israelites knew what it was to be oppressed, exploited and marginalised. And while they celebrated their freedom, God was concerned that they not forget where they had come from, what it was like to be excluded, and what he had done to rescue them. He instituted the Passover as a memorial event and an opportunity to retell the story, as we read in Exodus 13, verse 14, With a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Question, read Exodus chapter 22, verses 21 to 23. How important was the memory of their own slavery in the instructions about how the people should treat the least fortunate? in their new society. Exodus 22, beginning at verse 21. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way, and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. Barely had the echoes died away after the giving of the Ten Commandments when Moses is called to spend more time with God, who gives him detailed instructions as to how these grand commands shall be lived out in Israelite society. Even before the instructions for building the tabernacle, God gives three chapters of laws about such things as the appropriate treatment of slaves—laws that would have stood out in stark contrast to the treatment many of the Israelites had experienced. There were laws dealing with violent crimes, laws related to property, laws for everyday living and principles for establishing courts to implement these laws and to administer justice. See Exodus chapter 21 to 23. Now, those three chapters contain 98 verses. So what I think we'll do just for this lesson today is we'll look at the highlights. The first um, 11 verses of chapter 21 of Exodus 21 deal with the law concerning servants. And then the next 15 or so deal with the law concerning violence. And then the next seven or eight deal with animal control laws. If a man opens a pit or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it and an ox falls or or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. And there are other ones in there as well. And then in chapter 22, the first 14 verses deal with the responsibility for property. It deals with... um, Neighbours passing through and trespass and about cattle in there as well. And then um, from verse 16 to 31 of uh, the second chapter, it deals with moral and ceremonial principles. And then in chapter 23, uh, the first nine verses deal with justice for all. And then verses 10 to 13 deals with the law of Sabbaths. And then verses 14 to 18 deals with three annual feasts. And verse 20 to the end of the chapter deals with the angel and the promises. Verse 25 reads, So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill fulfill the number of your days i will send my fear before you i will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you prominent among these laws was concern for fellow citizens in this new society as well as concern for the outsiders and those most vulnerable these people were not to be exploited They were even given rights to access food in ways that would respect their dignity, such as gleaning leftover crops from the harvested fields. Such treatment for outsiders and foreigners was not common in the ancient world. Even today, some seem to forget the important moral principles found here regarding the treatment of others. And so to finish the day... What memory, in your experience, makes you more compassionate and concerned about the suffering or injustice of others? stage, July ten, second Tithing Many Christians recognize and follow the Bible's instructions regarding paying or returning tithe. Usually referenced from Malachi 3.10, it is a simple formula, with believers giving 10% of their income or increase to support the work of the church in spreading the gospel. Entrusted with these tithes, churches usually have strict guidelines about how to use these funds, primarily applying them to support direct ministry and evangelism. Question. Read Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 29. In these instructions, what is the primary purpose of tithing? Deuteronomy 14, beginning at verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain, and your new wine, and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But, if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you— Then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household, for you shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless, and the widow, who are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. The temptation is to think, We have fulfilled our giving when we give that 10%. But the instructions given to the Israelites suggest that the 10% figure was a starting point. Studies suggest that an ancient Israelite living and giving according to the guidelines in the Levitical laws would on average give almost one-fourth of the year's income to the work of God to support the priests and sanctuary and to help the poor. Some scholars describe this giving, particularly to support the foreigners, orphans and widows, as a second tithe. It is obvious that the people were to enjoy the results of their work and to celebrate their harvests. God promised to bless them, particularly in their new land, but they were not to take that blessing for granted or to forget those who were not blessed in regular years this portion of the harvest was to be brought to the sanctuary and shared from there but every third year there was to be a special focus on sharing their blessings in their own community in these harvest celebrations there was a special focus on those who might easily have been overlooked or forgotten, as it says in Deuteronomy 26, verse 12, You shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. According to God's instructions, at least some portion of the Israelites' giving was to be focused on providing financial and practical assistance to those who most needed it. Again, this was based on the people's memory and appreciation of how God had been merciful and just to them. And so to finish today, read Deuteronomy chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. What is the Lord saying to them? How should we apply this to our own attitude toward giving to those in need? Deuteronomy 26, beginning at verse 1. And it shall be, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days, and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian, about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, and looked on our affliction, and our labour, and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and with an outstretched arm, with great terror, and with signs and wonders. He has brought us to this place, and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite, and the stranger who is among you. Day, July 11, the Year of Jubilee Meeting the Israelites as a people who had no home of their own, and who were waiting for their arrival in the promised land, God knew the importance that the land would take on as they established their new society in Canaan. Under the leadership of Joshua, God oversaw an orderly distribution of the land by tribe and family groups. But He also knew that over time, the wealth, opportunity and resources that were connected with landholding would tend to become concentrated in the hands of the few. Family difficulties, ill health, poor choices and other misfortune might cause some landholders to sell their lands for short-term gain or simply to survive, but this would mean the family might be dispossessed for successive generations. God's solution was to decree that land could never be sold absolutely. Instead, land would be sold only until the next year of Jubilee, at which time the land would revert to its allotted family, and any land sold could be redeemed by the seller or another member of the seller's family at any time. Again, God reminds the people of their relationship to him and how that affects their relationships With others, Leviticus 25, verse 23, The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Question. Read Leviticus 25, verses 8 through to 23. How do you imagine society would be different if these principles were applied, especially the words, You shall not oppress one another? Leviticus 25, verse 8 through to 23. And you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seventh Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall count the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the Day of Atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate... The fiftieth year, and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family. That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy to you, and you shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, each of you shall return to his possession, and if you sell anything to your neighbour, or buy from your neighbour's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years upon after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbour, and according to the number of years of crops he shall sell to you." According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price, and according to the fewer numbers of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. So, you shall observe my statutes and keep my judgments, and perform them, and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce? Then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year, and eat old produce until the ninth year. Until its produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest." The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 534, we read, The regulations that God established were designed to promote social equality. The provisions of the sabbatical year and the jubilee would, in a great measure, set right that which, during the interval, had gone wrong in the social and political economy of the nation. End of quote. Bible historians are unsure as to whether these economic and social rhythms were ever fully followed for any significant period of time. See Second Chronicles. Chapter 36 and verse 21 To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill seventy years. Even so, these rules offer an intriguing glimpse into how the world might work if God's laws were fully followed. Moreover, They underline God's particular concern for the poor and the marginalised, as well as his concern that fairness be manifested in practical ways in our world. july 12 there is nothing ellen white writes in patriarchs and prophets page 530 and 531 after their recognition of the claims of god that more distinguishes the laws given by moses than the liberal tender and hospitable spirit enjoined toward the poor although god had promised greatly to bless his people it was not his design that poverty should be wholly unknown among them He declared that the poor should never cease out of the land. There would ever be those among his people who would call into exercise their sympathy, tenderness and benevolence. Then, as now, persons were subject to misfortune, sickness and loss of property. Yet, so long as they followed the instruction given by God, there were no beggars among them neither any who suffered for food, and pages 534 and 535. These regulations were designed to bless the rich no less than the poor. They would restrain avarice and disposition for self-exaltation, and would cultivate a noble spirit of benevolence. And by fostering goodwill and confidence between all classes, they would promote social order, the stability of government, We are all woven together in a great web of humanity, and whatever we can do to benefit and uplift others will reflect in blessing upon ourselves. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, of the blueprint God gave to Moses and the Israelites for the kind of society they were to establish, what feature, law or regulation most catches your attention? whether it be specifically mentioned in this week's study or from your wider reading. 2. Why do you think God seems so focused on the most vulnerable in the laws He gave to His people? 3. How should we understand and relate to these laws today? How do we choose which of these laws are applicable and relevant to us today? What is the most important thing we can learn from these detailed instructions as to how the Israelites were to order their society and lives? And to summarise this week's lesson, God heard the cries of the suffering people of Israel in Egypt and intervened to rescue them he sought to build a special covenant relationship with them and to work with them to establish a new society that would be a blessing to all even those often forgotten marginalised and vulnerable Inside Story Our mission story this week is titled Man with a Crooked Stick and it's by Wilson Mirsapogo. Indian villagers faced constant trouble from an intruding tiger. The wild animal crept by night into Gudam Madhavaram, a remote village with no electricity on a mountainside in India's Andhra Pradesh state. The villagers, dependent upon goats, cows and bulls to produce milk and cultivate crops for their rich landowners, watched in despair as their animals were devoured one by one. They prayed to their gods for protection, but nothing happened. One day, a tall white man with a crooked stick arrived on horseback. He spoke the local Telugu language, and the villagers stared at his crooked stick. When the stick coughed, animals went to sleep, permanently. The villagers learned that the man was an American named Dr Theodore R. Flays. He had opened a small hospital in Nusvid, 30 miles or 50 kilometres away from the village, and a training school for workers in Nasaprem, 110 miles or 180 kilometres away. When he wanted to rest from his work, he hunted on their mountain. He donated the game to the villagers. On Saturdays, he sat in the shade of a village tree, removed his coat, and sang songs. When the villagers asked what he was singing, he explained that he was worshipping the Creator God. We want to see the Creator God, the villagers said. The white man opened a black book and read aloud about the Creator God. As the tiger problem grew, the village elders won a promise from the white man to help. They tied a goat to a tree trunk in the village centre. In the branches they built a platform where the white man could sleep. That night they tied a rope to his leg and retreated to their huts to keep watch. In the night's darkness a large tiger approached. The watching villagers jerked the string, waking up the white man. He caused his crooked stick to cough. The tiger, however, was only wounded and fled. Later the tiger returned, was shot, and fled again after several attempts the tiger was shot dead after that the friendship between dr flays and the villagers grew greatly and a small seventh day adventist congregation was established one of the first converts a young man who had helped tie the goat to the tree and kept watch at night was Sunder rayo my father says the writer he was baptized in nineteen fifty five Today, Gudum Madravan is an Adventist village. It has produced 40 pastors and Bible workers and many educators and health professionals. On Saturdays, the whole village comes to a halt to worship the Creator God. Wilson Mir Sapogo, left, is Executive Secretary of the Seventh-day Adventist Church's Southern Asia Division, whose territory includes India. Dr. Theodore R. Flays was a medical missionary who headed the Adventist World Church's medical work from 1947 until his retirement in 1966. He died in 1977 at the age of 80.